I invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you, there are some on the ends of the, the pews there. We are looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And before we begin that, let me also remind you, I do know we have a number of folks visiting with us for the first time today. Um, we A big part of this community thing that we're talking about is life groups, something we call life groups. They meet on Sunday nights, all of them, from 5 to 7, and it's a chance to get together, have a meal. There's somebody that facilitates a bit of Bible discussion, and then there's also a chance just to spend time praying for one another. We'd love for you to come, even if maybe you're visiting for the first time today to one of those groups. There's some yellow sheets, I believe, out on the table in the foyer that look like this and tell you where those generally where those groups are meeting and give you some contact info for those as well. We'd love for you to, to come on and join us tonight. I mean, not trying to manipulate things at all, but the Ross Bridge groups, both of them are meeting at the pool tonight pool party. So just, you know, if you want to come out, hang out with us. Pool, pool time, pizza at the pool. So uh, we, we're looking at Ephesians this fall, and we're looking now at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. I, I talked a number of weeks ago about a little bit about how Ephesians is outlined, and the main thing you need to recognize is that Ephesians 1 through 3 is telling us a lot, there's an application for us, but it's telling us a lot about what Christ has done for us. The love that He has shown, the riches of His grace. And then as we move, Ephesians pretty neatly divided into two halves. Chapters 4 through 6, that will begin next week, begins to move into what we would probably call the nuts and bolts, the, the pragmatic outplay of what Christ is doing in our lives. So you might say the first three chapters are the principles of salvation, and the second three chapters are kind of the practice of salvation, how it lives out in our lives. So we are coming to the, to the end of this first half of, of the book, as you will, I think, see today. And I do, um, you know, we're, we go through, we're working through a book of the Bible. This might be a new thing for, for some of y'all. Maybe you haven't, there's certainly nothing wrong in principle with sort of topical preaching, picking a topic and grabbing a few verses. In fact, we're kind of doing that in our Sunday school time each week going through Proverbs. But it really is good. I hope you see the beauty, even though it's sometimes a little rigorous, sometimes a little tedious, working our way through a book of the Bible. It gives you one, a good sense of accomplishment that we've learned what this book of the Bible says, or we will have over the next few weeks as we complete it. But it also helps us because it, it makes us deal with things we might not otherwise deal with. If we believe, as we do, that this is God's Word and it's His truth, it, it gives us things we need to hear. And so working through a book of the Bible piece by piece helps us encounter those things, even if it might not be the number one thing that we want to hear about. It also invo- uh, you know, helps yours truly up here avoid getting on any pet projects or hobby horses. It, it allows us all to work through this book and see what it has to say for us. I invite you then to stand with me as I read aloud and you all read along with me silently. Uh, we just stand in recognition of the power and holiness of God's word. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may 
dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted, grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to that power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. As you do, let's pray again for our time here. Father, we do want to pray specifically that You would work in our lives now. We ask that You would continue to show us the magnitude of the riches of glory and grace that can be found in You. That those things would strike us and transform us. And in particular, that we would be drawn up into Your love and would be changed people by it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. On January 24th, 1848, just a little bit up the road from a tiny hamlet called San Francisco, California, a man by the name of James W. Marshall, who lived near Sutter's Mill, discovered a yellowish substance in the rocky ground of those hilly northern California areas. Within just a year, word had traveled across the country and indeed across the world, and over 300,000 people had come to California. The gold rush was on. Men came, leaving behind a a lot in wherever they lived and left it right where it was, their businesses, their jobs, to come and seek these riches that they hoped to gain. The the early uh, ones simply panned in the river with pans to get the gold out. Later on, they would develop more complicated techniques. But all in all, over a span of about eight or nine years, what would today be Billions of dollars worth of gold was removed from that area. Our verses today, we're invited along with Paul to pursue riches. To pursue a different kind of riches, a spiritual riches, spiritual riches of glory and grace in Christ. We're given that invitation. Paul's referred to it several times, and rather than traveling great distances by boat or, or wagon or, or horse to get to it, the avenue that Paul's telling us that we travel to get to it is through prayer, through this means of prayer. That's how we begin to experience these riches. And it's not like the gold that these men pursued, a sort of uncertain wish, but it's a sure hope in Christ, that we can enjoy these riches if we will look to Christ and put our trust in Him. And if we will do this panning through prayer for it, we will find riches. 
And so in your bulletin, actually on the back page, if you'd like to follow along with an outline, there's also a little quote sheet in the inside of your bulletin. But the back of your bulletin has for us today what I think is the main idea of these verses. Because of the riches that are available of God's glory, we can accumulate, if you will, spiritual wealth, spiritual growth through prayer. That's how we can grow. And Paul talks about these riches quite a bit. I don't know if you all have noticed this over uh, some have been able to be here with us each week for the last six or seven weeks. But Paul talks about these riches in a number of places. It's a big theme. These first three chapters. The first one in verse three is a little bit different wording. But verse three of chapter one, if you want to look here with me, we'll go through these quickly. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us. In Christ, with every spiritual blessing. There's some spiritual riches to Christ. Jumping down in verse 18 of chapter 1, it tells us we can have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. We can seek the hope to which we've been called. And in the last part of that, verse 18, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? Chapter 2, verse 4, just a brief reference. It says, but God being rich. In mercy, loved us. The seventh verse of chapter 2, Paul says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Uh, One more, chapter 3, verse 8. We looked at actually last week, Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then today we see in our verse 16 of chapter 3 that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant us certain things. So Paul wants us to see this theme. He wants us to see that this uh, spiritual gold rush is on and to pursue it. He's praying for us that way. He wants us to pursue it that way. And we're reminded throughout uh, Ephesians, uh, actually in chapter 1, we saw that after Paul gave a short list of some of the glories of God, then he prayed. He prayed that people would grow in it. Here again, he's gone through another chapter and a half or so of more of these riches and glories. And again, he pauses and he prays that we would grow in them and experience them. And that tells us some things. One, it tells us at least three things. It tells us what we should be seeking as believers. It's a pretty simple equation. If the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, thinks that these things are good for us, then they're good for us. We should seek them. So we know what we should seek. We know then, too, that we should pray for them, for ourselves, to experience these things. And then we can also pray for one another to experience these things as well. Because Paul shows us how he prayed for these Ephesian believers. So we see that here, and, and yet, e- even as I talk today about these riches and try to uh, recognize them for myself and be adequately enthused about them and seek them, I know in my own heart a, a hardness. I suspect I'm not alone in that hardness, that there is a, a hardness to the things of God rather than viewing the things of the gospel and his working as a, as a glorious gold rush. It, it barely looks like the jewelry counter at J.C. Penney. doesn't look like anything to really get me that excited 
about. If we look through these verses, Paul is telling us that through prayer, we can lay hold of these glorious things, but we're hardened to it. It's not something we get enthusiastic about. Worse still, we're uh, surrounded, even if we've seen some of this gold and decided we might, might be worthwhile to try to get some of it out of the spiritual ground, we're surrounded by fool's gold, aren't we? Got a lot of other things around us that would pull us away from this true wealth of the Lord's work in our lives. Uh, Jesus, to switch analogies in the gospel several times, gives this parable about the word being a seed that lands in the ground. And you probably have have heard that parable before. And different things happen in different situations with this seed. But one of the things that can happen is it actually sprouts up and starts to grow. looks like something's happening. And then what happens? Something comes in and chokes it, keeps it from growing. Jesus says the desires for the things of this world and desires for wealth and so forth would choke that out from us and concerns and worries about the things of this world. This, we're surrounded by fools Gold, other things that distract us from the riches that are here. And again, we, as we think about Paul praying in earnestness, these things, praying from his heart for transformation in the lives of these around him, we find in our lives, myself included, uh, we're more likely to pray the foxhole prayer. Lord, get me out of this fix. Help me in this situation. Or the Janus Joplin prayer, you know, is one of my favorites. So, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. That's more of what's typical for us for our prayer life. So we see here an invitation to enjoy these glories of wealth in the gospel, spiritual riches, simply by praying. Simply by redirecting ourselves to pray for the things that we should pray for that are good for us, these glorious things. That's what Paul's talking about in these verses. It's interesting. You can look with me at verse 14, and then we'll move into these four points. But look with me at verse 14 quickly. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I bow my knees before the Father. Uh, in our time, probably customary prayer you know, situation is just what you all are doing right now, sitting. That's normally how we pray. In biblical times, they were more likely to pray standing. That was kind of the way they did it. But for them or for us, it's the same thing. If somebody gets down on their knees and prays, somebody gets down on their knees and asks for something, there's a sincerity level to that. There's a depth to it that's uh, that we should recognize and we should note. And so we see here the Apostle Paul saying he gets down on his knees. And I'll just say this. Uh, it's not always true that kind of how we position our body affects us, but it, it can. And so one thing for some of us here today who may say, well, I, I do pray, Chris, and I feel like I'm seeking the Lord, but I don't feel like I'm experiencing all these riches. It, it's not going to be the sum total of the solution, but one of the things we can do is kind of even change the physical position we pray in. You may not have thought about that, but when you get down on your face on the floor and you pray to God, it kind of changes how you think about them as opposed to maybe sitting or sitting back in the recliner or whatever. Um, seems like Paul is putting emphasis on the fact that he's getting to his knees with sincerity. And then one other thing before we move into these four points, 
um, is interesting is it says in two different ways in these verses. If you look with me at verse 15, it says, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. So he's saying this is everybody is affected by this. And then it tells us down in verse 18, we may have strength to comprehend with the saints, with all the saints. I think that's important. What Paul is saying there is that um, this isn't some little special thing for spiritual green berets that uh, or monks in a monastery or real spiritual leaders in the church or the pastor or something like that. This kind of uh, prayer that prays for these deep things, it's not like a special purview for certain people. It's for, for all. All are supposed to uh, be seeing this and experiencing this. Okay, well, what does Paul pray for then? Number one, he prays, and, and this is um, a one commentator called it a staircase of prayer. I'm just going to call it a prayer case for today. That kind of stuck with me. This is a prayer case. These are kind of steps, if you will, moving along this prayer journey. And the first one is that we would be strengthened. You'll see that in your outline as well. Verses 16 and 17 talk about this. It says that according to the riches of his glory, that's what we've just been talking about so far, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. How? Through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart's through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And then it goes on. These two things, the spirit in our inner being and Christ dwelling in us are essentially saying the same thing. And what it's telling us is that this work is actually not something we're alone in. It's not something that we just do by ourselves. If we put our trust in Christ, recognize our sin, look to him in faith, it's an inside job. He is now in us and working inside of us. He's doing this work. He's dwelling in us. That word dwell there is, uh, there's two words in the scriptures for dwell. One is kind of staying over at a hotel for a night. just sort of stopping in. The other one is taking up permanent residence, being there for a long time. That's the word that's used here, saying he is taking up permanent residence in us and that we should pray that we experience the power of of that. Another passage that came to mind as I thought about this was 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You don't need to turn there, but it just tells us this. It says, if anyone's in, in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the, the old has passed away, the new has come. Whatever struggles we have in this life, whatever feeling of powerlessness that we have, particularly in the spiritual realm, that we don't feel like we have power to grow. We don't feel like we have power to seek God. We're not strengthened. We feel weak. It's telling us here that Christ is working within us and his power is available to us. Are we praying that we would experience the power and the strengthening of the indwelling work of Christ in our lives? There's a strengthening to be had. The second thing we see in these verses is that we're supposed to experience, because of these riches of God's glory, being loved and also then becoming more loving people. So this is the second step on this prayer case we are walking through, what we should be praying for. And it's seen here, we started into it in the end of verse 17, being rooted and grounded in love. Being rooted and grounded in love. It uses uh, two analogies here. One's a botanical one. A, a plant is rooted, but that's not enough. Paul wants to make sure we understand it. Grounded, architectural analogy. It's the grounding, the foundation. 
So both of those things carry parallel ideas that we, we, this is the bedrock of who we are as believers. We know from the scriptures that God is love and that we as believers reflect love in the world and people see Christ through that. As we think about this, we're reminded of what the scriptures tell us over and over and over again. On the one hand, in our sin and outside of Christ, God's disposition, scriptures actually tell us, is wrath towards us and towards sin. But when we come into Christ, we have his righteousness. When we put our faith in him, we are cherished. You are cherished today. Those who are gathered here, you are well loved. God delights over you with singing. He loves you with that depth of love. He sent his own son to secure it. And so certainly we can disappoint God. We can even walk out of step with God. The scriptures tell us we can grieve God, but he will not release us from the grip of his love. John 10 verses 27 to 28. Again, you don't need to turn there. Probably some of us are familiar with these verses. It's where John is telling us about Jesus as the good shepherd. And he tells us there something very important in those verses. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And then this in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you are in Christ today and whatever fears you're facing, whatever difficulties you're facing, maybe you lack assurance in God's love. Jesus is telling you that. No one will ever snatch you out of his hands. He doesn't fumble the ball. He's laid hold of your life and he has his grip upon you. And that is the love that we experience through him. The scriptures, of course, tell us that that kind of love is supposed to change who we are. That we become more loving people. In fact, another place in scripture where it's, Talks about a shepherd, talks about sheep, is Psalm 23. And I thought of that with this verse, and, and we'll get to this fullness point in a minute. But it says there that uh, uh, David's cup overflows. He comes, he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. He sits at the table of the Lord. His cup overflows. His, his head is anointed. And it gives us this picture here. When, when we are experiencing the riches and fullness, when we're praying to be filled with this kind of love, then we become more loving people. We're able to move past barriers of lack of love in relationships with those around us, with people at the workplace that annoy us, with family or marriage situations that are difficult. We're given a new power to love. That's the kind of power that's available to us because of these riches. Are we praying that we would know more of God's love for us and then become more loving people seeing those riches that he gives to us? third thing we see is that we are supposed to be comprehending something. And it's really tied together with this second point that I just finished, but it kind of deserves its own attention. And that is uh, just these verses, verse 18, which says that we're supposed to comprehend something. I mean, we're supposed to understand, dwell on, get in our mind a certain idea. And one of those things is the breadth and length and height. And depth of this love of these riches of glory 
that we can experience. We are supposed to see how broad and how vast that is. Some have pointed out that this could be some kind of reference to actually the cross itself. Jesus on the cross, there is a certain width to those beams. There is a certain height to that. There's a certain depth to that. There's a certain length to it. Might be a reference that way. I like what uh, John Stott, you all know he's been helping me through this. I hope he's been helping you. He says the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all of mankind. It's long enough to last for eternity. It's deep enough to reach the most degraded of sinners. And it's high enough to exalt all of us up to heaven. That's the breadth and length and height and depth of this love. And that transforms us if we begin to experience that love. I put on a little insert in your bulletin on a white sheet, two quotes. And as we finish, come to the close today here in the next couple of minutes. Uh, One is from Alexander McLaren. Who describes the well, he uses the word charity, but he means love, charity and love, same thing. He describes the way that love and actually also faith and hope can transform how we walk through this world in the the temptations that we face. The things that would pull us away from experiencing this love. He says, like a diver in his suit who's let down to the bottom of the wild, fear-weltering ocean. A man whose heart is girded by faith and charity, that's love. And whose head is covered with the helmet of hope may be dropped down into the wildest sea of temptation and of worldliness. And yet will walk dry and unharmed through the midst of its depths and breathe air that comes from a world above the restless surges. Faith, he says, will bring you into communication with all the power of God. Love will lead you into a region where all temptations around you will show their own Foulness and hope will turn away from your eyes, from looking at the tempting splendor around and fix them upon the glories that are above. And then listen to this, how we can be changed by this love. And so the reins will come into your hands in an altogether new manner. You will be able to be king over your own nature in a fashion that you did not dream of before. You'll be able to govern yourself when you let Christ govern you. We comprehend this love. When we comprehend this magnitude of the riches in Christ, we have a new force, a new power at work in our lives. Lastly, number four, we can experience a fullness, a filling in the Lord. Now, we know if we've walked with the Lord for even a few days or a few weeks, that there is indeed a reality, a fullness to knowing Christ but that because of our sin, because of the broken world we live in, it, it doesn't always uh, maintain itself the way we want to. It seems we need a regular reminder of the fullness of God. I love uh, hearing the story about D.L. Moody, well-known um, preacher, reached many people, known to be a godly man and leader of God's people. And he was preaching one time and he talked about this idea that we need to be uh, regularly seeking.
in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.